Most Christians have no idea the magnitude of elaborate deception that's on our near horizon, and in many cases it's already here. Because for the better part of 2,000 years, all Bible prophecy has been painted through primitive, quaint-colored Sunday school glasses. Several films have been released in the past decade or so based upon the book of Revelation and the end times. Some of those films were made by Hollywood for sensational purposes. Most of them were made, though, by Christian ministries. Unfortunately, most of them are not very accurate biblically. If anyone were to accurately make a movie about what's prophesied to come, no one would ever suspect that they were watching a Bible story until the very end of the film when it's revealed to us that we've been rooting for the Antichrist without even knowing it. The following audio is a recorded discussion with Andrew James and his co-host Nate from the radio program Uncommon Christianity, in which we discussed alien abductions, the technology of cloning and hybridization, and how all of it ties together, believe it or not, with end-time prophecy and the coming of the Antichrist. Our discussion lasts for a little over an hour. So here we go. Hang on to your butts, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have not just one, but two special guests this evening. With me, as always, is Mr. Nate. Nate, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm excited. I'm, I just, I'm pumped. I can't wait to see what goes on tonight. Here we go. <laughs> this this is just a little bit of a preview for what we've got coming on right now. Tying in the topic of aliens with end-time biblical prophecy is probably something that most people wouldn't even dream of doing until they start doing just a little bit of research. And... Uh, it's something that I started doing a few years ago. I say a few, it's been over a decade, thanks to Chuck Missler's book, Alien Encounters. And he was the first Christian author that I discovered who had the audacity to approach this topic seriously. He wasn't kidding around. He was very serious, did a lot of research, came out with an excellent book in 1997 called Alien Encounters. And I knew he was a Christian author. He had published several expositional commentaries on the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, did several briefing packs. The very idea that he was going to talk about aliens was, was something very interesting to me. I just had to hear what he was going to say because until that time, I had been following documentaries about UFOs and aliens, but it was always from a secular perspective. They never brought any biblical side to the discussion. Right. And I knew that there, I knew that there had to be one. I just, I knew there had to be a biblical uh, side to this story. But you wouldn't hear it. At least I never did from church or any of your typical Bible lesson plans that bringing up UFOs and aliens. It just, it never comes up. But um, it's really. It's a very spooky experience to start investigating this stuff, bringing things together. Because now. I can't talk about end-time prophecy without thinking about aliens because I believe that's how it's all going to tie together. Let me go ahead now. I'll stop you right there. Um, we've got your general take on the topic of the show. What is your take on aliens in general? If we were to just isolate it to aliens in general, what is, what is your take on that? Presently, I believe that all alien abductions, alien phenomena, whatever you want to call it, it is 100% satanic phenomena, 100% of the time. There are no exceptions. Now, if you're talking about the legitimate stuff, you know, there's a lot of sightings that are hoaxes. A lot of it is, you know, disinformation. A lot of it is just fake stuff and, you know, kooky people drunk on a Friday night. They don't really know what they're looking at. But when you get right down to the serious stuff 
and you talk to the people who've been abducted, and you compare their stories with other people who've been abducted, and you put all of this together, and just do a little research from reputable authors like Chuck Missler, L.A. Marzulli is a good one, uh, Tom Horn, Chris Putnam came out with a book recently called Exo Vaticana. There's other books out there. One of the things you'll discover is that these quote-unquote aliens from another planet are very interested in the Christian religion and debunking it. Yeah. And it's very, it's very strange. They don't have any intention to debunk Islam or the Hindus or the Mayans. If anything, they want to promote those other. Yeah, all of them. They have a specific agenda to debunk Christianity. And the way I look at it is I grew up watching Star Trek. Why would Spock come from the planet Vulcan to tell Earthlings how screwed up they are with their Christian religion, you know? And so that's that was the first clue that I got that, that what was going on was sinister. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is the uh, researchers of, well, for example, Jacques Vallée. I don't know how familiar you folks are with him. Mm-hmm. But uh, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, 80s, he was one of the biggest UFO researchers that, that was around. He was personified in Close Encounters of the Third Kind as the French UFO researcher. And he came to the conclusion, and he's not even a Christian, which makes this really impressive. He's not a Christian, so he wasn't borrowing from Christian doctrine. He came to the conclusion that these so-called aliens are not what they pretend to be. They are not beings from another planet, but they're interdimensional beings from right here, but from parallel dimensions. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing. The second thing he discovered was that they're deceptive. They lie all the time. And that just sounds like the classic, the biblical, the, the classic biblical enemy that we're very well aware of fits that. Right. If you wanted to scientifically classify a demon as a species of sorts, then that would sound like a demon, right? Yeah. You, you also have a very, very interesting opinion on the subject of Nephilim. I was wondering if you could uh, sort of relate that, however briefly or extensively you'd like, uh, for our listeners, and then how you feel it kind of ties into the the whole alien conspiracy. Well, (laughs) there's a big problem with that discussion because it seems that while you talk about it, you also are aware of many people who want to debunk what you're saying. So I can give you the nuts and bolts summary of that whole topic, um, but then approving it is something else, and that requires a lot of homework in the Bible and history and so on and so forth. But the, sure. uh, the net of it is human beings were created in the image of God, and even animals, even though they don't bear God's image, they were created by God for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, when you read Genesis chapter 6, most of us, and me included, when I read that chapter, the Sunday school version of what took place gets in the way, and I don't really see what's going on. When you strip away the fairy tale Sunday school version of Noah's Ark and the flood and everything and just read the text and compare it to other biblical texts, well, not biblical texts, but texts that were being published around that time period, 3000 B.C., They're not biblical, but I I use them as secular records. I mean, if you had a newspaper from back then, then that's what you would look at. And they don't have newspapers, but they did have religious texts. Everybody records an invasion. There was a massive invasion. Now, they didn't use the terminology aliens. They saw these beings as gods. All of the ancient religions from around 3000 B.C. and before record an invasion, and it wasn't stealth. It wasn't hidden. It was so massive that everybody knew what was going on. And what they did was they interbred with all flesh, not just humans. They did it with animals, too. 
And they came up with all of these strange hybrids that basically it's where we get all of our legends of mermaids and, you know, satyrs and, uh, you know, goat men and right. giants. All, all of the ancient legends, which most of us thought was just fairy tale. It stems from this time period and what they're, it's just genetic manipulation is what it is. Once you understand that and then go back and read Genesis 6, there's a lot of things in there that just, it blows you away where it says, all flesh corrupted its way on the earth. Well, now all of a sudden that verse makes more sense. All mm -hmm. flesh corrupted its way. In other words, the DNA's messed up. The demonic agenda then was to keep God from fulfilling his promise in Genesis 3.15. God promised a redeemer, a human redeemer, the Messiah, the seed of the woman. Well, you got to think like Satan. Satan knows that God has to keep his word. So once God gives his word, then Satan tries to figure out a way to thwart God's plan using God's own words against him. Mm -hmm. Like, well, if the Messiah is going to be human, if I corrupt the human genome, then there will be no human beings left for God to fulfill his promise. Checkmate, I win. So that's where you get the human race being basically taken over by hybrids. And it happened to the animal kingdom as well. That's, now, that isn't in the Bible that it happened to the animal kingdom. You have to go to the other text to find that. But there's evidence of it. That's why there had to be a flood. All flesh had to be wiped out. And another thing, and this is something that I credit Tom Horn for figuring out. It was something I had never considered until he brought it up. Science has done such a great job of removing the supernatural, removing God's handiwork behind a lot of things that we think we know all about today, such as conception. We've explained everything away from a scientific level that it's almost like just clockwork. God's not involved. It's just stuff that happens all the time by itself. Right, right. But the fact is, there's scripture that says that we're formed inside our mother's womb. That even the cell division, that every cell that divides, that God is somehow involved and he is intricately planning and working with every cell division, every strand of DNA. Mm -hmm. So then that comes to the question, well, what about the soul? Well, right. God is the one. God's the one who puts the soul into the hardware. Let's, let's say software. The sure. soul is software. Okay. God's the one who downloads the software into the hardware that he's creating. So that if a couple of people get together and we decide we're going to breed two dogs, right? Well, sure. we might take credit for it, but God's really the one who's doing the work. And there is a soul for a human. There's a soul for a dog. There's a soul for, for different animals. They're different. It's different software. Right. But there is no software. God didn't create any software to go into a half-human, half-horse. There is no software for that. That is Satan's whole purpose because he wants a fleshly body to inhabit, or hmm. demons to inhabit. The flood was to wipe out all the flesh. It wasn't because God was angry at sin, although he was. That wasn't the purpose for it. He was wiping out the Nephilim, and the word Nephilim, getting back to your question, it is a species of life that God did not create. Satan manipulates the DNA, whether it's human or animal, it's a half-human or half-animal and half-demonic being is what a Nephilim is. And that's fact. That's history. All cultures have recorded these intrusions. It's where you get the legends of Zeus, mm -hmm. you know, uh, abducting a woman and wound up giving birth to Hercules. Well, that's legend, but it's based on things that were taking place. Right. And then there's something that's even stranger. If you go back to Genesis 3.15, the prophecy, the very first prophecy of the Antichrist, mm -hmm. the first title of the Antichrist, he's called the Seed of the Serpent. And Christian author Doug Hamp 
has done a lot of research on that. When he looked at the word seed, he's the one that came up with the idea what we're talking about is information. We're talking about DNA itself. When we read that with Sunday school glasses, we kind of think, well, you know, he's going to be a product of Satan. He's going to be raised by Satan. But most of the time, the Bible turns out to be literal the more you understand what it's saying. And I believe it's my interpretation that the Antichrist is only going to be half human. Now, what other half he's going to be on a physical level, I have no idea. But when you watch ancient aliens... When you watch all of these documentaries, they're looking for an alien savior. Let's go back to Star Trek. Who was Spock? He was half Vulcan, half human. If Spock showed up in Washington, D.C., want to take over Washington, if I didn't know what I know, I would probably trust the guy. One of the prophecies of the Antichrist is that he's going to deceive, if, if it were possible, he would even deceive the elect. That pretty much is where the Nephilim ties into the alien conspiracy. And so you've pretty much alluded to it, but let me go ahead and ask you to just sort of pinpoint exactly where what we're talking about intersects with end times prophecy. What does all this come down to? Are we looking at the eventual creation of, or should they say introduction of, the Antichrist, or are we looking at utopia, you know, as some people seem to believe? Well, I think it's going to be packaged as utopia, and that's what's going to make it so very hard to resist. My perspective on this is sort of unique because I spent several years being deceived by the alien agenda before I finally saw what was going on. So I know what people are thinking. I, when I was a teenager and everybody else was watching Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves and Bruce Willis, I was watching Star Trek, the nerd, you know. And the positive thing about Star Trek was that one day, perhaps a few hundred years from now, the human race is going to get its act together, and we're no longer going to fight each other. We're no longer going to be hungry for money and wealth. We're actually going to work together and fix all of our problems. Well, that's a very positive message. But then decades later, after they got everybody hooked into this whole mantra, then they introduced the idea that, well, we didn't do it alone. We got a little help from an alien race known as the Vulcans. So there's an idea that if the human race would quit looking at themselves as enemies and unite and recognize that we're not alone in the universe, then perhaps everything will be better. Maybe there's technology and energies that we don't know about that we will never know about because we won't get off the earth. So if an alien savior, and this is just hypothetical, but it's a hypothetical scenario that I think it works in science fiction, and it also works in prophecy if you want to put it together, and it seems to be what's happening. If we got the idea that an alien who's been observing Earth from afar is just watching us and feeling sorry for us because we're too immature, we won't grow up, if he were to intervene and produce a source of energy that would take care of all of our problems, we wouldn't have to pay for electricity, we wouldn't have to pay for gasoline. If you can do that, then you could take care of the food problem, um, mm -hmm. just, which is just a few little DNA upgrades. We wouldn't even have to worry about diseases. Well, who wouldn't want that? That sounds like something everybody would want, especially if it's coming from a nice guy from another planet who just watches over us and cares for us, and all he's doing is sharing with us his technology the same way I would probably share my big-screen TV with my next-door neighbor who wants to come over and watch a football game. That's the way it's going to be packaged. This is not something that's coming. It's, it's already here in so many ways. The whole modern era of UFO abductions and stuff, it, I mean, it's, it's always been going on throughout history. 
But it really got started in a big way during the 1940s. A lot of people were trying to figure out, well, what happened in the 40s that got the aliens interested in us all of a sudden? And the theory that people came up with, well, it must be because we're now using nuclear weapons and they're trying to make sure we don't destroy ourselves. But the truth is, it was Adolf Hitler that got all of this started because the secret societies of Germany, the Vril Society and so on and so forth, they were all occultists. Everybody knows that Hitler and his leaders, they were into the occult. Hitler's the one who opened the door to all of this garbage, the, the star people, if you want to use that label. They opened the door to the occult in a big way, and that's when the UFO, if you, if you go back to fighters, they, they call them Foo Fighters. That's when the whole UFO thing started was with Adolf Hitler. How did Hitler do that? Well, that's another thing. The whole Jewish Holocaust was not just about racism. See, that's what we're taught in our public school. Well, we just got a bunch of racist Germans who hate Jews. But Yeah, but why Jews? Of all the races to hate, why Jews? Because it was demanded. Satan wanted it to be the Jews because Satan knows that, prophetically speaking, it's going to be Jews that stand up against the Antichrist. It's going to be Jews who call on the real Messiah at the end of Revelation. So it's a well, if I wipe out the Jews, then that can't happen. So that's right. the game plan. So we're going to sacrifice the Jews so that we can't bring about the millennium. We can't bring Jesus back. And, of course, God is always ahead of the game. Hitler lost the war. And even though six million Jews were slaughtered, Israel was reborn in 1948. World War II ended in 1945. And then you have the Roswell incident in 1947. Mm -hmm. And then you have all of these different things going on. And people are trying to figure out, well, okay, so Hitler opened the door. What are these beings doing now? Well, I don't know, but there seems to be evidence that the governments of the world know something. And what they know, nobody knows because the information is classified. There's no way of knowing. We can only guess and uh, come up with theories. A theory that I've recently come to agree with, I think the higher-ups in our government, they know exactly what's going on, and they actually know that these so-called aliens are actually fallen angels. It's my theory. It's my view that they know this. That's why there's so much secrecy, because how in the world do you get the rest of the public up to date and explain to them what's going on? You can't. (laughs) You you just can't. So they're just trying to keep things as quiet as possible. And there's another reason why they might be keeping things quiet. They can't control it. Right. We get this idea from X-Files and so forth that, well, the government is in league with the aliens. I I have a feeling the government knows about it, and there's nothing they can do. Yeah, so why tell the public about something that they can't stop, control, etc.? Yeah, right. So then yeah. you ask the question, well, then where's all of this going? Well, if you listen to the people who make it on all of these documentaries who talk about what they've been told while they were abducted and everything, uh, the message that they're bringing back is that the aliens are telling them, well, there's a big change coming on the planet Earth. And the change is going to be so drastic, it's going to require a new breed of human that doesn't exist now. It's going to have to be a human being that is half human and half alien. The next stage of human evolution is to be a part of another alien race, because that way you'll physically be able to fight off the diseases that are coming. But here's another message that a lot of these people get told, and this blows me away. They're told that there is a minority of people on the earth who will resist the future. Right. They hold on to their ancient religions. Most of them are Christians. Yep. They are going to be removed 
our alien brothers. We're going to remove them from off the planet Earth to get them out of the way so there won't be any violence, there won't be any turmoil, and we're going to take them to another planet and re-educate them. Now, when I read that, when I hear this testimony, I'm thinking to myself, you folks have brilliantly explained away the rapture before it yep. ever even happened. Yep. I mean, you know, the rapture will come and go. We won't be around to tell people what really happened to us, right? Right. And so in my mind, you know, with all due respect to Kirk Cameron and the folks who did the Left Behind movies, you know, I watch those movies, and I think there's so much naivety in the creation of these movies. <laughs> in my opinion, to me, if you were to make a real movie about Revelation, mm-hmm. it would look like a sci-fi movie, and all of us, including Christians, would probably be rooting for the bad guy and not know it until the very end of the movie. I right. think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely. Because he's going to get rid of the diseases, get rid of the energy crisis, get rid of money. We're all going to be one species. And, folks, this, you know, it happened before. That's what Tower of Babel was all about. That's right. another story that we don't understand thanks to our Sunday school sunglasses that kind of color the story. We get this naive picture in our head that a bunch of people got together and were building a little tower that was going to reach into heaven so that they could touch God. And God didn't like that. God separated them. That's not what was going on. They were building a temple that yeah. was going to reach a pagan god, not the god of the Bible, but what they thought of as God. Right, right. Imagine a mile-wide UFO up in the clouds. Well, if the human race had a memory of something like that, because it happened before the flood, in my opinion, I don't believe ancient man was primitive with stone knives and, you know, rocks for wheels. I don't believe that. I believe the opposite is true. I believe we were born intelligent, and there has been a devolution of intelligence, not an evolution. Right, yeah. So, you know, after the flood came about, you have Noah and the faithful, but then you have everybody else saying, you know what? I remember hearing about a time before the flood when man was intelligent and they traveled to the stars. And if we could just get in contact with the beings up there, there used to be a mile-wide UFO. I mean, that's our lingo today. They wouldn't have used the word UFO then, but that was their mindset. So they were trying to undo what the flood did. They were trying to bring back those dark gods, right? the fallen angels, those beings. They were trying to summon them back, and God wouldn't have it. So he stopped what they were up to, and now all that's left of that are some relics in the Middle East, but... It's really interesting because when you talk about the Tower of Battle, it actually sounds like you're going more towards, uh, for instance, like a Stargate-esque kind of uh, atmosphere. Um, right. I was just going to interject that. <laughs> That's a, yeah, I'm glad you did. That's exactly what they were doing. They were trying to reach a Stargate. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons, if you go through the Old Testament, there are several places where in Israel, when they would uh, demolish pagan worship sites, uh, one of the things that they would do, the Israelites would do, they would turn the pagan worship sites into a legitimate worship site. They would put synagogues there, and God said, don't do that. Even right. Though you, you know, even though you've overthrown the pagan worship sites, don't do that. And uh, he doesn't explain why, but the impression I get is the fact that there's open doors that are there, demonic doorways. 
Yeah. You might over you might overthrow the, the pagan temple, but the, the, the Stargate, if you want to use that word, it's still there. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But what exactly. I think is gonna happen, the whole Tower of Babel incident and Nimrod, the first world dictator, all of that's gonna repeat itself. What the abductees are being told, the aliens are telling them that there there's a time coming that human race, they're just not ready for it and uh among them are Christians, and we're going to have to get them out of the way. But don't worry, we're going to take care of them. We're going to re-educate them. We're going to give them time to adjust to what's happening because it's going to freak them out to find out their God's not real and that aliens are among us and all of this stuff. Meanwhile, we're going to have the best, smartest, brightest, most attractive alien who's a half-human, by the way. That'll make you trust him even more. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. he's going to come down, and he's going to explain everything. Everybody's going to—they're going to love the guy. And see, that's one of the things. Every now and then, people will start asking. I get emails all the time. Do you think Barack Obama's the Antichrist? And I laugh <laughs> every time. I, I, I say no because I don't think the Antichrist is going to need a teleprompter. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, the Antichrist when when he shows up, everybody's going to listen. Everybody's going to love this guy. And uh, he's going to provide everybody with answers. He's going to make cool. a treaty with Israel. You know, Israel's going to say, that's a great idea. I'll sign the treaty. Where do I sign up? And uh, everything's going to be just fine until a few things start happening that are very familiar to the Israelites who remember their old-time Bible prophecy. Yes. They're going to remember the fact that, wait a minute, there's this whole abomination of desolation thing. The Antichrist is going to show up. In this temple that was built, and the Jews are not going to like that. They're not going to like right. the, the fact that this world leader shows up and gets in the Holy of Holies and declares himself to be the God of the universe. And uh, they're right. going to remember that. They're also going to remember it because Revelation talks about there being two witnesses, you know, two thorns in the side of the Antichrist, two witnesses who come to be the sole voice of reason and truth on the planet Earth. Now, Revelation doesn't tell us who they are. It's my view, it's my theory that it's Moses and Elijah. I can't prove it. There's a few verses here and there that give me the impression it might be them because that summer, that's the law and the prophets right there. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. They went to Jesus. If you remember in, um, I forget what chapter it was, but uh, it's, it's an event known as the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus went up to mm-hmm. the mountain to pray. And uh, the disciples saw that there was so that his face changed, and the next thing you know, Jesus is standing there talking to Moses and Elijah. Well, Moses and Elijah are from a different era. Moses is from right. you know, I don't know how many thousands of years ago, and Elijah is like six hundred years ago, and here they are talking to Jesus. Well, what we get from that is that Jesus is above the law and the prophets. Because then God the Father came up out of the Shekinah glory and said, this is my son, you listen to him. In other words, he's above it. He's above Moses. He's above Elijah. But there's another theory, and I heard Chuck Mister bring this up years ago, and it's a theory that I agree with. Moses and Elijah may have been going through a time warp, stopping by in the first century, to get final orders from Jesus before on their way to the 21st century or whatever century it is that the days of revelation take place. Because when you read what the two witnesses, when you read what the two witnesses do in, in revelation, it's very familiar 
with the ministries of Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament. And Israel yes. would remember that. They would know that. And to have Moses mm-hmm. show up in modern-day Israel explaining Jesus was the Messiah, you guys got it wrong. And this guy that's gone to your temple and messed things up, he's a fraud. He's the Antichrist. He's the man of sin that's in... I mean, you don't have to go to the New Testament for the Antichrist. He's in Genesis 3.15 and his first title, The right. Seed of the Serpent. Now, that's something else that just recently I started thinking about. What if the word serpent is not just a title for Satan? What if that's what he is? And, and when I say serpent, I don't mean snake. I mean reptilian. Yeah. And the word reptilian's got a very alien sound to it. But there's actually a religious cult out there, a UFO cult out there. They're, they're known as the Luciferians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they... You know, I've heard of them. Yeah. To them, uh, Satan is not a bad guy. He's a good guy. Lucifer's a good guy. And uh, the God of the Bible, he's the one who's messing everything up. And uh, if, yeah. if you listen to them talk, it, a matter of fact, if you're not careful, if you listen to them long enough, they'll, they'll suck you in. Because they'll start saying stuff like, man, look at the Bible. Just look at this. Look, look, look how, everything, how nice everything was. And then God screwed everything up with a flood. Look how, I mean, Tower of yeah. Babel, there yeah. were no wars. That made everybody was at peace. Nobody was arguing. Everything was fine. And then God, just because he's jealous, he has to interject the human race with all these different languages, creates all these separate races. And there's been racism and hatred and bigotry ever since. It's all God's fault. And they can go through the whole Bible and twist it around like that so that if you listen to them for very long, Satan's just a big victim. Lucifer is yeah. a victim who is misunderstood and all he's trying to do is redeem the planet Earth from this oppressive super alien that the Christians call God. Right, yeah. So when you get the Christians out of the way with the rapture, and then Satan, the, the serpent, gets his seed, his son, on whatever the, the leading platform is, whether it's the president of the United States or, or Rome or, or, you know, whatever the throne is, Babylon, whatever. That's mm-hmm. something else to get into. People try, what's the end time religion going to be? Is it going to be Catholic? Is it going to be Islam? And what people don't understand is one of the prophecies of the end, he will exalt himself above all that is called God, which means he will be above Islam. He will be above the Catholics. It will be a new religion that nobody's yeah. ever yeah. seen before. So the only way he can do that is provide an evidence of reality to, to whatever he pr- promotes that in the minds of the human race, no other religion has ever done before, even Christians. I mean, if God came to earth, right? So we have the evidence, mm-hmm. and yet it's 2,000 years ago. So most of what we yeah. have, have been taught, we accept it on faith. Now, it's not blind faith. We have experience. I know that God's listening to me when I pray. When I read the Bible, I know God's speaking back to me. So I have personal experience. I see things in my life, things that's going on. But most most people of faith, and when I say faith, I put a little F. They're not they're not really Christians. They're just they believe in a God. They believe in a deity, but they're not Christians. Uh, if you get a right. man of power with technology and a mile wide UFO and the ability to heal diseases and fix all of our problems, well, that is something that would bridge the gap between atheists, the religious, the agnostic, 
the scientific community, every religion on the planet would find their own little way of accepting this. And as time goes by, it would even be elevated to the new religion. And it's my exactly. view, when it says that he will exalt and oppose all that is called God, he cannot take over the planet Earth and be worshipped under an alias. He might start off that way to deceive people to gain the power, because that's what he does all the time, is deceive and lie. But in the end, I think Satan wants to be worshipped as Lucifer. Jesus said something to the Pharisees. He said, I have come in my Father's name, and you will not listen to me. But another will come in his own name, and him you will receive. And when yes. you read that, we know he's talking about the Antichrist, but what does it mean when he says he will come in his own name? Well, if Lucifer shows up and pretends to be Spock, he's not coming in his own name. He's coming as an alias. In the end, right. he wants to be received as Lucifer. He wants the people of earth to worship him as Lucifer. And there's right. already a cult out there doing that. There's a book called Exo Vaticana, written by Tom yep. Horn and Chris Putnam. They got a theory that uh, there are certain members of Catholic hierarchy, not all of them, but just certain members, that they're trying to contact an alien race, and the device they're using is called the Lucifer device, which is strange yep. that they would call it that. Um, and it's not just them. You can't just pick on the Catholics. There's Protestant churches doing very strange stuff, too. If you start investigating some churches, you'll find that they're trying to bridge classic biblical Christianity. They're trying to mingle it with all kinds of weird New Age mysticism that mm -hmm. you would find in a, you know, in a, in a New Age smoke shop. I'm really glad that you brought that up as well because I don't know how many church-going people I've seen fall into either New Age mysticism, like you said, or even just all-out witchcraft just yeah. because they've seen a little bit of the reality of it. They see a demonstration of it, and then they just immediately accept it, and they'll work it into their own personal faith, their own personal religion. So it's really not so much of a stretch to put a sci-fi twist to it where it's no longer science fiction, but should there be an appearing of sorts, well, people would have to reconcile that somehow, and if they come and they back up what they're saying then absolutely, a lot of people would feel they had no choice but to take them at their word and to create a hybrid religion of mm -hmm. sorts. And uh, what you were saying um, previously about Satan, if he starts out with an alias, he would eventually come to his true name so that he would be worshipped without being called by a different name. Uh, there, there are actual... Uh, Actually, three uh, historical examples that come to mind to where men did that very thing. One, you can read about in the Book of Maccabees, where Aristarchus IV, he came in and uh, he put up a statue of Zeus in the temple. Right. Right. But eventually, he said, oh, wait, guys, that's not Zeus, that's actually me. You have to worship me. That was the first abomination of desolation, and that was what started the Maccabean Revolt. Maccabean Revolt, right. Right, and then the uh, Roman Emperor, he was called the Pontifex Maximus. What that meant is that he was the high priest of all religions. You could worship any god or ancestor or, or force of nature you wanted as long as you recognized that Caesar was above them all. 
So when a, a Roman officer would, would come into your village or your city and start the fire, you would have to walk by and throw some uh, spice or whatever into the fire and say that uh, Caesar is supreme or Caesar is Lord. And that, that was actually where we get our um, Christian saying that Jesus is Lord. Because we would start to say, no, Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is Lord. Right, to rebuke. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And then uh, most recently, not to uh, cast shame on every single person who's affiliated with, with this organization, but the Freemasons. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to read through Morals and Dogma, their handbook for the Scottish Rite. I've looked through it before, and it's pretty alarming, a lot of the things that they discuss in there. But uh, a very central theme is they talk about the great architect of the universe and that all of man's religions point toward him. And uh, they actually have their own reckoning of time. There's a monument here in Cleburne, Texas, where they did the uh, cornerstone. They have two dates on it. One is A.D. 2008, I believe, and then it says A.L. 6008. And I look at that, and I'm like, that can't be what I think it means. But I looked it up, and I was correct. A.D., as we know, is Latin for Anu Domini in the year of our Lord, right? according to the uh, calendar by St. Jerome and the Catholic dating and, and, and all that. Hmm. A.L. is Anu Luciferus in the year of the light. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So... um you know, again, I've known people who have been involved in that to like a lesser degree. And of course, we have a lot of founding fathers of this country who've had their names attached to it. So I'm not saying that all Freemasons are devil worshippers or something. They, <laughs> no. you know, that they have hospitals and stuff out there. Right. right. But you can absolutely see that if you take their own handbook and look at it, what is the blueprint there? What could easily step in and take the helm of that? Right. Yeah, I believe it's exactly what you were saying. Yeah, well, actually, that's, that's the thing. Lucifer means light bearer, mm-hmm. you know, because in the beginning, he was the shining one. When this hits, it's something, because for years, that used to mystify me. I thought, what deception could be so potent and so powerful that it would even deceive me if I was here? And the only thing I could come up with was the whole UFO thing, because even though I was a Christian, I was still following the UFO stuff, not putting the two together yet. Because mm-hmm. back when my faith was in its infancy, the way I looked at it was God created us. He can create as many races as he wants to. To say that we're the only ones here is arrogant. But it's only arrogant if it's a presumption. But if mm-hmm. God comes right out and explains, I actually believe the universe is as big as it is because it will be inhabited at one time, just not now, not until sin's dealt with, not until Satan's in chains. But once sin has been dealt with and once Jesus is on his throne in Jerusalem, where he's supposed to be right now, he's on his father's throne, there's prophecies about Jesus taking the throne of his forefather David. That hadn't happened yet, which means it has to happen. It's going to happen. Where sin has been dealt with and Satan is in chains and Jesus is on his throne, I believe the universe will be a playground. I mean, we'll be able to go anywhere we want to because there won't be anything that limits us. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's uninhabited now. It's because... We're not mature enough for it yet. We have to deal with sin first. Um, right. And that's a big problem. And I, I made a big deal out of that in one of my podcasts years ago. I, I thought, you know, if sin's a big problem. If there was an alien race out there who was sin-free, then that would be front-page news in the Bible. That would be all over the place. 
you know, here, trust these mm-hmm. guys. They're sin-free. They got it right. But yeah. there's, there's nothing there, you know. Even though there's nothing in the Bible about an alien race, there is a lot in the Bible about a coming deception. So, okay, what's the deception? And then when you start watching all of the sci-fi movies, which I did, I'm a big, like I said, I'm a big nerd. You watch all of the science fiction movies, all of the TV shows, and then read Bible prophecy about what's coming. It's amazing how similar it is. Bible prophecy is avoided because it just sounds too weird to people. But if you've seen as much Star Trek as I have, and then read Revelation, it makes sense. You just have to understand the Antichrist is going to promote himself to be half human, half serpent, or half human or half something else. And this is the thing that I found out in Exo-Vaticana. Whatever alien being is communicating with conspiratorial members in the higher ranks of the Vatican or whatever organism, the Masons, whoever, they're being told the people will not have to get rid of their faith and their religion at first. It'll be a gradual thing. People will hold on to their own faith while embracing this new leader, this new alien race, and as time goes by, it'll just kind of slowly slide into each other. People will slowly, comfortably, at their own pace, let go of their religious beliefs and embrace this new way of looking at things. And it'll be seamless, it'll be smooth, it will not be violent. Except for one group of people, those stupid Christians. we got to get them out of there first. There are several UFO researchers that are not Christians, that are at YouTube. And my heart goes out to these folks because these are nice folks, these are nice people who are looking for something that they know we're not going to get ourselves. The people of Earth are just stupid, they're greedy, they're arrogant, they're hungry for violence. Things are not going to get better on their own down here, and they're looking for answers in the sky. To them, when you speak of Jesus to them, they think Jesus is a cartoon character from South Park. They think Jesus is represented by Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they don't want anything to do with Christianity because to them it's an outdated system of belief that's being held onto by people who just don't get it. And they don't realize it's the other way around. Everything that's happening now has happened before. It happened in Babylon. It's happened in Rome. That's something else that Satan did that was pretty crafty. We have been taught in Western education that all the belief systems of the past was superstition, which means a bunch of people just sat down and made up Zeus. They made up Athena. They just made up all these legends. And if you look at the intelligence of the civilization of Rome, how could they be so stupid to believe in Zeus and Athena and Venus and all of this stuff? There was something real going on. There were fallen angels that were assuming these identities Mm -hmm. so that the higher-ups in Rome, they were making policy. You know, people made these statues for a reason, these massive temples to Zeus and Athena and and Venus. They did it for a reason. They didn't do it just because they were superstitious. Right. Superstitious, people who are superstitious don't do anything but put horseshoes next to their door. They don't build temples and then, you know, create (laughs) and mathematics and come up with the street system and the sewage. Rome was the most intelligent society of its time. Right. But they got that intelligence from super beings. They were fallen angels. And you can go the same way to Egypt. The leader of the planet was Egypt. Well, how do you become that smart? How do you become that powerful? If you're just superstitious, right? if you look at their gods, remember the little emblem that's on all of Pharaoh's crown? It's a serpent. Gee, what a coincidence. Mm -hmm. I wonder what happened. 
the Nile yeah. god, Ra, the sun god. If you listen to their testimony, well, who was Ra? Well, he flew on a silvery disc that shined with many colors. Gee, it sounds like what they call a UFO today. Mm-hmm. Right, so, and then you also have the dragon emperors of China, yeah. the, uh, the earliest of which were said to possess the ability to turn into a dragon. And that was right. where the dragon emperor title came from and why dragons are revered to this day in Chinese culture, not as monsters, but as symbols of wisdom, imperial authority. And that's one of yeah. Satan's titles in Revelation, the dragon. So, you know, what happened before? It happens a lot of times. Babylon, Egypt, the Mayan culture, Rome is probably the most recent. Then you have, like you said, China. Uh, If you listen to the Native Americans, they talk about the star people. I mean, all of these civilizations. It's going to happen again. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. Only this time, hopefully for us, it'll be the last time. Because I just seriously, when you think about it, I don't think that uh, the planet can handle any more of this. Because the technology today, and that's something else that causes a lot of Christians who are into prophecy, one of the things that really makes us wonder how much time we have left is because even though Christians have been waiting for 2,000 years for the Lord's return, there's one thing different about the current era that you can't say about any other era in history. All of the technology is there for Revelation to be fulfilled. You couldn't say that 50 years ago. Right, the technology, right. I mean, all the technology is there. When it talks about the whole world will see the two witnesses slain and then get up three days later like nothing happened. Well, how can the whole world witness that? When that was written 2,000 years ago, people thought John was on acid or something because <laughs> wait, the whole world's going to see that? How are you going to get the whole world in one place to see that? Well, John didn't explain to them that in the 20th century they would invent television. And in the 21st century, everybody would be carrying the Internet on this little bitty box in their hand, people walking around like zombies looking at their little their little <laughs> iPad and iPhone and everything else. And even yeah. people who miss it live, even people who miss it live, there'll be 20 different pictures of it at YouTube from different perspectives, and they'll see it there. So you've got yep. that. Well, what about the mark of the beast? Well, you know, 100 years ago, people came up with the idea of going to be tattoos of 666 on your forehead. Well, that's what you would say then, but the fact is... It might be a DNA upgrade that's not a mark at all. It's a mark because it exactly. might go through the forehead, it might go through the hand, but what it is, it's a DNA upgrade because one of the things is we're computer programmers. You guys build websites, I'm sure I, I know I have. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I discovered that's kind of cheating, if you want your website to look a certain way and you can't figure out how to do it, you can find somebody else's website in which they've accomplished it and get permission for them. Hey, can I just copy the code? that you used on your website to get that effect. If they say, yeah, they'll give it to you, and you just splice it into your own code, and there you go. Well, that's what they're going to do. That's what people are trying to do with DNA. They're figuring out, well, okay, human vision is supposed to be 2020. We just can't get it to go past that. But, boy, a bald eagle has excellent vision. If we could just find out where in their DNA that is programmed, take it from them, splice it into human DNA, then we'll get humans with perfect vision. Yeah, and interestingly enough, Josh, uh, that from from all that I can recall is actually called it's it's a process of quote unquote cloning and hybridization. Right. But interestingly enough, that's that's the terminology used for web pages when you clone another web page and input the code into your own web page code. That is the hybridization part of it. So it's cloning and hybridization in web pages. Why wouldn't it also be uh, in terms of DNA? 
that is the bottom line, basic premise of the recent Spider-Man movies. They've yeah. completely taken that whole idea to the next level. In the first one that they rebooted a couple years ago, there's a whole five or ten minute segment devoted to explaining that very concept. And I think they even explain it again, just in case you missed it the first time, that it would be a new world if we could take the benefits of one species and cross it over into another species. And uh, the basic lesson of it is that we're too dumb to do that on our own. We might need some help right? So in order to avoid disaster. And Doug Hamm right. is the guy who introduced to me the idea that, first of all, we don't really understand what it means when it says we're created in God's image. We barely scratch the surface as to what that really means, and I don't think we fully understand it. But I think Satan knows what it means. And yeah. uh, he wants to corrupt that image. He wants to get rid of it. So that if right. he can alter our DNA and corrupt us into his image, what is his image? He's a serpent. I mean, that's basically what he is. Now, our idea of a serpent, we get from reptile animal, the snake. But I don't think we really understand what the Bible means when it calls him the serpent or the dragon. Right, that's what he wants to do, to make us into his image. I'm an avid book reader, and just like I said, I'm a big nerd, but L.A. Marzulli, an author, he's the one that came up with the idea of bridging two different prophecies together that might mean the same thing. It talks about people in Revelation seeking death and not being able to find it. It doesn't explain what that means. It says men will seek death and cannot find it. But then yeah. it mentions somewhere else that people who take the mark of the beast wind up with sores. What if... What if the image of the beast or the mark of the beast, it's a DNA upgrade attempting to heal people of diseases, heal people of old age, heal people of mortality so that they can live forever? So you don't need redemption if your physical body never dies. Hell's not a threat anymore because you're never going to die. Right, right. And it turns out it winds up backfiring. People would rather have death than live on the planet Earth that's being kicked around like a kickball by God, going through all the stuff mm -hmm. that's going on. They seek death and can't find it. And it's almost like right. the Sorcerer's Apprentice, you know, the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice trying to cheat his way through work and performing a magic spell that actually becomes bigger than he planned and he can't stop it. So Marzulli's theory, I, I agree with it. He thinks that the mark of the beast is a DNA upgrade that is given to the people of Earth by Lucifer, by the Antichrist, in the name of helping us, getting rid of diseases and sickness, yeah. but it backfires. It backfires yeah. and people can't die, and it might even have a lot to do with one of the reasons why zombies have become such an obsession on television lately. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, now, Josh, we've got a little over 15 minutes left that we'll be able to actually do, but really quickly, first off, I wanted to thank you just for taking the time out and being able to, to interview us. I know it was kind of last second and everything, but I want to just say that I completely appreciate being able to, to actually take the time and, and be here. Oh, no problem. Um, if, uh, if our listeners have any questions, they want to learn a little bit more about you or whatever, do you have a website that they can go to? Yeah, they can go to either foundingword.com, that's the main Bible website, or they can go to my blog, which is joshallem.com, G-O-S-H-A-L-L-E-M.com. And in both websites, there's links to contact. You can email me, and uh, I'll try to answer any question I can as best Excellent. I can. And if I have no idea what the answer is, I'll have the humility to say I have no idea. <laughs>
Yep. And uh, just for the sake of listeners, I, I just wanted to mention Nate, myself, and uh, Joseph as well. We've, we've actually talked uh, with Josh um, before via email and a few other different things. And this, this is a gentleman who I, I personally believe has, uh, has had quite a bit of revelation, whether or not he will admit to having divine revelation on certain things. I truly believe he's gotten it. Um, and that he's dead on point in a lot of things. But, uh, Josh, I wanted to actually see if we could get your opinion on a theory that Nate and I have regarding the Nephilim. <laughs> and Nate, I, uh, I was, I was hoping you might be able to go ahead and pretty much give him our theory on that and uh, sure. kind of get his opinion on it. Okay, sure. How it started actually was, um, I was talking to a Hebrew scholar. And he was explaining to me that the ancient pictorial form of Hebrew actually puts word pictures to each Hebrew word. And so if you look back to the ancient language, you'll actually have some insight into keywords and phrases and what have you. Brief example is the word for father, ab, A-B, or Aleph, Beth. The ancient form of that letter, Aleph, is a head, and the ancient form of Beth is a house. So you have head and, and household, head of household, oh. father. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. So I asked him, okay, so what would be the word picture behind the word Nephilim? Because that seems to be a matter of debate of who exactly that was talking about. And he said, okay, well, you'd have to look to the root word, which is Nephal, and it's three letters, Nun, Pei, and Lamet. So Nun is a seed. Pei is a mouth. And then Lamet is a shepherd's staff. And so he said seed would mean life, mouth would be speech, and then the shepherd's staff, it would be authority. And I said, okay, but the word means to fall down, to fall, to be prostrate, basically. Those are really, really strange pictures to put together to describe the word to fall. Then it clicked for me, that would be an act of worship. It would be a religious action because you've got speech, that would have authority over life. So it would be in response to a sermon, or if you were to pay homage, you would lay down. It wouldn't just be tripping and falling or what have you. So I thought, wow, okay, so perhaps the Nephilim would have been a term for like a religion of sorts. Well, what sort of religion would involve the sons of God coming to the daughters of men and they would refer to them as the fallen ones. And then I just got a pit in my stomach. I talked to Andrew about this as well, and he said that that lined up directly with his research of the books of Enoch and, and whatnot, that perhaps the Nephilim was a death cult inspired by demons where people would perform a ritual suicide, and then they would become incarnated by demonic spirits. It was this death cult that began to sweep the world that allowed Satan direct access to human genomes and all that because it would basically be like a demon zombie. The person would have been known to have died, yet here they are, and they have the full knowledge of a demon. Uh, that's a highly possible theory. That's actually pretty accurate. There's different species of Nephilim under different titles throughout the Old Testament. And I'm trying to remember, my memory escapes me, I can't remember, there was one particular species that when you translate the name of their species, it means 
death. It meant the dead ones. The Rephaim, yeah. Yeah, the Rephaim, that's him. Yeah, you know, it makes you wonder. That is highly probable, highly probable. What's very um, ominous about it, though, is that if there were to be a return of the Nephilim, then it would be a return of that process. So what would an ancient death cult look like in modern times? It might look like a clinic where you go in there to get upgraded, and if you don't take the upgrade, then they just kill you. But if you do take the upgrade, then on the outside, it would look like you actually received, you know, like a better genome or your body was upgraded. But in reality, what happened is you became a demon zombie. Let me give you something that might back your theory up. Um, when I was studying Nimrod, one of his titles was a mighty one. So because of that, I used to tell people, I was like, well, I think Nimrod was a Nephilim. Because in Genesis 6, when it talks about Nephilim, it says these were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Well, that mm -hmm. same description was given to Nimrod, so I came up with the view that he was a Nephilim. There was only one problem with my theory. The Bible gives us the genealogy of Nimrod, and both of his parents were human. So that kind of put a kink in my theory until I realized there's another passage of Scripture that he said he became a mighty one. So there is a possibility that a person can become a Nephilim by means other than a fallen angel abducting a human female. That if the person well, volunteers, they can become Nephilim or Nephilim. And that's what the mark of the beast, in my opinion, I agree with your theory completely, guys. That's what the mark of the beast is all about, is people volunteering to become Nephilim. Yeah. And let me go ahead and kind of flesh it out a little bit more for you, Josh. And Nate, I'm not sure if I got the chance to actually share this with you or not. Um, when you take a look at some of the more extreme cases of demonic possession, which, by the way, folks, we will be getting into that in a later episode a couple of months out. But when we investigate some of the more extreme cases of demonic possession, you discover that the host, the people who are being possessed, actually go through some very severe physiological and even genetic alterations simply due to the overwhelming manifestation of the spirit within them. Um, and so now, let's take what we know from these possessions that we see where the spirit of the individual is still inhabiting the body. And now let's take it to the point where you've got the death cult and you have these people who have been like, okay, yes, we are going to sacrifice ourselves to you. We're going to kill ourselves to allow the vessel our bodies to act as your vessel. Well, now you have a full-on, fully-powered demon with a physical vessel that has not had the chance to decompose, that they demonstrate the ability to prevent from decomposing, that goes through a complete and total physiological, genetic, and every other manner of alteration. So now you have the manner in which a demon can actually reproduce with a human. Well, exactly. wow. <laughs> exactly, because the yeah. book of Enoch, I believe Andy pointed out, states that the children of the Nephilim weren't called Nephilim. They were actually called the um, Eliud. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But uh, they were the ones who became giants and, and whatnot. So I found it very interesting that the Nephilim did not reproduce after the themselves. 
because in Genesis it says that God created everything to reproduce after its own likeness. Mm-hmm. But apparently the Nephilim couldn't do that because whatever they were was very specific, very unique. So if they were to reproduce, their offspring were different than what they were. One of the things about demons and fallen angels for years, I used to think those were one and the same. And then years later, somebody introduced the idea to me that, well, maybe they're different ranks, that demons and fallen angels are not the same. They seem to be synonymous, but they aren't. And then Chuck Bissler was the one who produced the theory that if you examine fallen angels in the Bible, they have the same capabilities that holy angels do. They can manifest, they can materialize, they can appear as physical beings, whereas demons are searching for embodiment. And if you also notice, they don't show up. Demons don't show up until after the flood. And there's a theory that he has that demons are actually disembodied spirits of Nephilim who perished in the flood. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's a very colorful theory. The point is, demons have a very serious problem, is they need embodiment. Possession doesn't work very well for them because there's a battle of wills. They have to fight the will of the human being that they possess. If they can get a cloned body that is soulless, then all they have to do is just slide in like purchasing a brand new car. Mm -hmm. That's another reason why there is genetic manipulation, because if a human being is born, then God is going to put a human soul in that body. But if a fallen angel manipulates DNA and creates a copycat that's not fully human, then God's not going to put a soul in it, which is what the demon wants. What if a Nephilim cannot actually die because we have idea right right because we have this over glorification of zombies and vampires who live for centuries and even thousands of years what if the flood simply took them and flushed them down and they are being imprisoned there may be a time when they are released because the bible talks about how there is an army that is imprisoned and it's released Well, I tell you, I won't completely shut that down. I'd have to look into it, but I'm under the impression that the Nephilim, that they all perished in the flood. The fallen angels that produced the Nephilim are in chains in a place called Tartarus. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the reasons why Satan is so busy trying to produce a new army. The Bible, it says a third of angels fell. Well, that means Satan and his forces are outnumbered two to one for the battle of Armageddon. So Satan is trying to increase his numbers with yeah. this whole army. Um, yeah. Now, how all of that works, I don't know. I mean, was, a lot of this stuff goes way over my head uh, when you start getting into some of the physics of all of this stuff. But, uh, no, I was under the impression that the, that the flood wiped out the Nephilim, that all of them. I have heard theories that some escaped, but I don't know that I'd buy that theory because it would kind of defeat the whole purpose of the flood to begin with. It's like, you know, God wasn't smart enough to get all of them. He just got most of them. Right. But uh, I think I would maybe, go, I don't know. I think I would go as far as saying that while the flood removed, say, like the uh, Nephilim 1.0, that after the flood, they uh, basically began the process again. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's what I think. That's my view because right. we, we see evidence of that in Canaan. They show up again. Mm-hmm. Um, Goliath, Sons of Anak. Son of Anak, yeah. I mean, it's, I believe when women are being abducted and they have children inside of them and then they get abducted again and the children are missing, I think that's what's happening all over again. And where the aliens slash fallen angels are hiding the offspring, I don't mm-hmm. know. 
you know, that's very interesting. And one theory is that they're already here. They yeah. somehow perfected the process so that they're not as obvious as they were in the days of Noah. Absolutely. Because you said Nephilim 2.0. This is Nephilim 3.0, 4.0. I mean, it's been six thousands of years right. of perfecting this process. Yeah. So we really have no idea what's coming. Right. Yeah. Speaking, exactly. um, speaking of abduction, there are cases from as far back as five or six hundred years ago where women were being taken. Specifically, uh, there was a case from Italy where there was a merchant's wife. She was actually put on trial for witchcraft and consorting with demons because she talked about these fairy people that would take her and uh, they would travel hundreds and hundreds of miles all across Italy and she would talk about how they would take her out to a field and there'd be a big elaborate setup there and she would dine with them and she would describe locations where she had never actually traveled to outside of the fairy encounters. Hmm. Um, and uh, the nature of these encounters were often sexual. So the Catholic Church was very concerned with her talking about having sex with demons, but calling them fairies because they presented themselves as fairies and that they were beautiful and not ugly and what have you. Um, there are many people who would try to say that aliens have been among us all this time and do the whole Star Trek route with it. But I would say that it's actually the opposite way, that what we see as alien encounters, they've been possibly present throughout human history, but in the form of fairies or in the form of even gods and, and what have you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's. I mean, you know, we grew up as kids being told not to be afraid of the dark and not to worry about the dark in our closet or there's nothing under the bed. It, it's really creepy to find out as an adult that there's a lot to be afraid of. <laughs> there is just about every legend or lore, everything that we were taught as kids to be make-believe is based on reality, demonic, satanic reality. It's the same puppet master. I don't care what legend you're talking about, vampires, ghosts, fairies, succubus. I grew up watching sci-fi horror films, and as a Christian, it didn't seem to conflict with my faith because I began with the premise I'm watching fiction. How deceptive could this be or how harmful could this be to my faith if I know from the get-go I'm watching something that is completely made up? But I'm finding out now as an adult there is so much that is based on true belief systems of evidence of things that – in other words, when I was a kid, I think it would have been better if somebody had said, Josh, uh, why don't you pray? <laughs> Instead of, you know, don't – oh, it's just your imagination. There's, there's nothing in there. Nine times out of ten, that might be true, but then there is that minority of cases. You know, maybe there's something going on. I mean, I remember having a conversation with a, a nice lady. Uh, this is about over ten years ago. There was a lady whose daughter was having night terrors, and she was explaining. She said her her nightmares are so severe she wakes up screaming and crying, and then I can't make it stop. Right. And uh, and she and she said. I don't let her watch anything on television, so I don't know what could be influencing her mind to create these terrible nightmares. And I just said, well, has it ever occurred to you that maybe what's happening is real? That maybe there's something going on? Because I remember as a kid having horrible nightmares. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I found out by accident 
that you can pray to God while you're dreaming, and God will intervene even in a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I learned that at a very young age, and it almost makes me wonder. I just wonder how many nightmares are truly the product of childhood imagination, and how much of it is the result of playful demons who have nothing better to do but to torment and bully a little kid that doesn't know any better at night. Because not, what are the adults going to do? They're just going to say, oh, I'll go back to sleep. It's just a dream. Exactly. You know, just tell them. Just pray. See what happens. Yep, exactly. All right, we are, we are out of time for this particular interview. Uh, Josh, give me just a moment as a sort of a final thing. If you were in an elevator with a Christian who maybe had expressed some kind of interest in this, but didn't really understand why they should be concerned about it as a Christian or whatever, what would be like a 15 to 30 second statement you would make to them that would drive home the importance of this subject? Well, I'll just have to quote others, but that's what got me going is that it's a game changer. If you're a Christian, what would you do if a mile-wide UFO showed up over Washington and on television? You know, what would you do? It's easy to debunk this stuff if all it is is a documentary on TV. You could just say, oh, well, you just turn the channel and pretend it's not happening. But if it happens in your front yard or if politics is suddenly changed by E.T. politics, what are you going to do about it? Are you prepared? Because it's a time of deception that's coming. And another thing that I've noticed is that there's some Christians who just trust that the rapture will protect them from all of this stuff. And I do believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, but I don't think there's any evidence that would suggest that Christians can just take a nap and pretend like everything's okay and just wait for the rapture. We don't know how bad the deception is going to get before the rapture. Exactly. We don't. And I think it's also lazy and immature to just use the rapture as a scapegoat to not pay attention to what's going on. Yep. So the other 15-second speech, depending on who I'm talking to, would be Mm -hmm. an opportunity for ministry because there are people who might get saved if they found out that Jesus Christ has the power to save them from being abducted every night at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. There's ministries out there targeted for that. Joseph Jordan's one of them. I don't know what he's doing now, but... For years, he was involved in a ministry because he was a UFO researcher at MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. He got saved when he found out that some people would call out to Jesus' name for help, and those abductions were being aborted. It blew him away, and as God would have it, he happened to know a Christian at the time who led him to Christ. And then he made a ministry out of it. He turned it into a big ministry, and there are several people who had lifelong history of abduction. They got saved. They found out how to rebuke this stuff in Jesus' name, and they're free now. So it's an opportunity for ministry. I mean, not everybody's a victim of alcoholism. You know, that, that used to be, you know, you an alcoholic, come to Jesus. Well, they need to broaden their testimony, their ministry. They say, are you abducted by aliens? Yeah. Now, can you imagine a pastor having the guts to say that at a church somewhere? Raise your hand if you've been abducted by aliens. Who's going to raise their hand in that church without being laughed at? Yeah. And yet, yeah. that's a good question. Yeah. Good there question. are internet you know? forums devoted to that where people are having to go to the, the New Age mystics and all that because a lot of Christians don't want to take them seriously. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's an opportunity for ministry. There's stuff going on that uh, the Christian church of today They don't want to talk about it, so guess where these folks are going? They're going to the History Channel. They're going to the Discovery Channel. 
And guess whose side they're on? Not right. the God of the Bible, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, uh, Josh, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know more, you can go to www.foundingword.com or www.joshalam.com. Uh, you can also look in our info box and you will find a link to uh, the, uh, some of the material that was talked about, including Alien Counters by Chuck Missler. Uh, again, Josh, thank you very much. And, uh, well, there you have it, folks. We'll continue to monitor this particular topic as it becomes more relevant in current headlines. In the meantime, we'll continue our Bible studies. Until then, we're out of here. Take care.